this is my convention. What is happening to it? You know why you do it. You don't do it because you get paid well. You don't do it because men love you. You do it because you love men and because more than that you want to honor God. This is Protestia tonight. Hello and thank you for listening to Protestia tonight, coming to you from the troublemakers at Protestia and all of our intrepid and wonderful patron supporters who bring this program to you for uh, starting at only $5.95 a month, other levels of support, but you can um, help financially uh, support the work of polemics and discernment done here at Protestia, starting at $5.95 a month over at patreon.com forward slash Protestia. This is the program that we hope will be glorifying to God, convicting to sinners, and edifying to the saints, a program with sincere questions and biblical answers. You will note that not only is this uh, program not on video this time around, but it sounds a little different. Uh, unfortunately, the, the scheduling has uh, created a situation where to get the program out, I am recording it in a similar fashion. Well, the exact same fashion to how I record the Bully Pew podcast, which also can be found um, at protestia.com, or you can find it on your favorite podcatcher. But this is protestia tonight and i i guess i suppose if it's the same kind of general format and things um it's not much different than the bully pew this time around but we do have some specific um things that we want to get into some uh two specific things that we want to discuss on this episode of protestia tonight the first being uh talking discussing this this situation where sbc president bart barber has i guess i would say uh got his hand caught in the cookie jar here um donating to the primary opponent um, of Dusty Devers, who's running for, I believe, uh, state senate in in Oklahoma, if if I remember correctly. Uh, but Dusty Devers is a an outspoken and ardent um, abolitionist uh, like myself, and has been round and round with Bart Barber about it for a while. And uh, now Bart's getting petty, it seems. So we're we're going to discuss that and and really some of the things that it indicates, and I would argue that it means for the Southern Baptist Convention specifically, and the issue of abortion um, as it relates to how to be consistent Christians um, in our response to the issue. Uh, we're also going to discuss. There was a little bit of blowback, and I want to I want to discuss this with um, with care because I think that there is potentially some um, room to agree to disagree about things like this, but there was a little bit of blowback with Rosaria Butterfield's appearance at a the Liberty University Convocation, which I guess is what they call their chapel, um, and I don't know if this happens weekly or, or exactly what the schedule is, but there was some blowback because she was giving her testimony, um, a little bit of description about the, the five lies that she describes in her new book. And, of course, doing a little bit of, uh, you know, scripture exposing and explanation from the Bible. And so a little bit of blowback because it was a mixed audience of believers and and really a discussion of is this a violation of the, the uh, biblical prohibition against women exercising authority or teaching men in the gathered assembly. So I want to talk about that a little bit as well. Um, but before we get to all of that, the most important, um, really, and the, the core reason why any of this work is done, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we, we try to put this at the beginning of every program. In fact, we're, we're pretty consistent about it because uh, the beginning of the program is first, and usually you'll listen to that before anything else. I, I realize some people might skip around topically and things like that, but because the gospel and the good news that 
Jesus Christ gave his life um, as a ransom to save sinners is the core um, belief, the foundation of what we believe as Christians. All the other things that we believe and talk about and discuss are um, subordinate to that, significantly subordinate to that. And we can go round and round about all these other issues uh, all day long, but if if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't understand the gospel, if you don't place your faith, hope, and trust in him, it's all for naught. It all uh, makes no difference at all. You will be going where we were all, um, where we all deserve to go, which is separated from God uh, in a... Uh, a punished eternity in hell. The Bible, the Bible says, if you die outside of Christ, you die in your sins. Uh, you will be judged for all eternity for that in hell. And as much as that is a biblical truth and a promise, um, God also made another promise that uh, uh, is sourced from the sending of His Son Jesus Christ to live a perfect life and earn that righteousness you could not earn, I could not earn. And then um, trading the punishment we deserve, putting that on himself. Uh, The Bible says that Jesus uh, was born of a virgin. Important because uh, he doesn't inherit the sinful nature the rest of us inherited. Uh, Lived a perfect life, earning righteousness that we had no ability to earn. And then um, dying the death that we deserved in our place as a sacrifice for sins. Paying the price to the Father, the price that we uh, we're supposed to pay, and the Bible says, if you if you trust in Christ for your salvation, repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways, and trust Him as Lord and Savior, uh, salvation is a free gift. It is not, nothing that we do, nothing that we can earn. Instead, um, it is something that is offered by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus died on that cross. Uh, a horrific, humiliating death, take, taking upon the sins of the world, um, and died, was buried, and then uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, raised from the dead on the third day. Uh, Jesus raised to life, conquering death, proving his sacrifice was accepted by the Father, and seen by um, scores, hundreds of witnesses before ascending to the right hand of the Father, where he now sits and acts as our intermediary, our chief priest, our, our intercessor. Um, if, if you don't understand that, if you're confused about that, if you, um, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have not repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in him, we would encourage you to do that today. If you have questions about it, please reach out to us. We, of course, want to answer those before we answer any other questions. That being the case, we have some other questions to answer, some other things to discuss. So let's get into it. The first first topic, I guess we should say, last week uh, at some point, uh, I, Oklahoma ethics, like election ethics, which I, I believe is like a legally required thing. It's donations over fifty dollars, I believe in uh, in uh, in Oklahoma are required to be uh, publicly accessible. And we found out that. SBC President Bart Barber, who, by the way, resides in Texas, not in Oklahoma, decided to uh, donate $100 to the the primary the, the Republican primary opponent of SBC Pastor Dusty Devers, and it's and come to find out that this Republican primary opponent is is quite a liberal. Uh, this person uh, who and I. I I don't remember her name. I think it was a she off the top of my head. Um, I would normally have it in front of me if I was in front of the computer. But the point is that um, this person is 
like verifiably and notably a a, a pro-abortion uh, liberal um, running in a Republican primary against a, an anti-abortion um, conservative SBC pastor, and yet Bart Barber thought that um, that the pro apparently it's one of two things. It's either he he thought that the pro-abortion uh, liberal running as a Republican was actually a good choice for this office. And so threw his $100 towards that campaign because he thought that that would actually be better than a, a conservative anti-abortion SBC pastor, even one he disagreed with. Or um, he just act, you know, uh, acted out, had a little temper tantrum, and, and sending $100 to this person made him feel better. Um, you know, oh, I, you know, even though I've been arguing with Dusty Devers on Twitter, this'll, this'll show him. I'll, I'll put, I'll send some money to his opponent. There, ha, got him now. Uh, you know, a hundred dollars is not very much for any, even a small local political campaign is still kind of a drop in the bucket. So it's, it's, seems to me much more of a statement or, you know, like I said, something Bart may have done to make himself feel better. You know about about getting back at Dusty or something like this, um, but then of course his 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 reaction to it was not to repent, not to say, you know, I really shouldn't have sent money to a pro-abortion rhino, in any case, but especially um, in opposition to a anti-abortion conservative SBC pastor, like that. Yeah, that that was a wrong thing to do, but he can't do that. He can't do that because in SBC land. In, in the world of the platformed elite and, and, and those who, who mean to uh, lead these institutions, any admission of wrongdoing is, you know, will, of course, because it's social media, will lead to calls of, uh, you know, you need to quit, you need to resign. So maintain, <coughs> maintaining reputation is essential. That's more important than anything. And so Bart gets out and starts attempting somehow to defend this decision um, on the basis of, well, I don't lose my rights as a citizen when I become SBC president, which is very true. And SBC pastors, whether they're SBC president or not, don't lose their right to uh, vote or support political candidates or be politically active. Obviously, that's the case. And none of us have an issue with that. He also defended it on the, you know, he suggested this idea that he, he said something like, I'm not willing to concede that my political, my private political donations are any of your business. Now, that's horrifying in terms of its lack of logic, lack of ethics, lack of applied morality. Like, d does he think that political donations, supporting political candidates with all of the ethics and morality that is wrapped up in politics should somehow be a, a private decision that he should never be held accountable for? Yeah, I mean, even, even our secular government knows that it is ethical for the money behind politics to be known. So you, you want to financially support political candidates, that's fine, but we're all going to know about it. And, you know, for a Christian, that should be okay. Because we're not going to be supporting political candidates that we can't make a case to support. Christianity is not a, a private, at-home faith. We practice it out in the open, unapologetically. We don't um, strategize with, hey, you know, hey, this, this part of what I believe or what I think is true, um, I'm just going to keep that to myself. And so the, the fact that the SBC president 
um, is trying to claim that this is some sort of a private donation, a private donation that he should um, not be held to account for, it's nobody's business but his, um, is disqualifying. It's disqualifying from the pastorate, quite frankly. Would you want to your church to be led by pastors who say who would say something like, "Yeah, I'm going to teach you from the pulpit on Sunday," um, you know, the scripture, and it's going to have all sorts of implications about how we should live, uh, including how we should um, exercise self-governance in this country, how we should um, be good stewards of the governing role and the authoritative role in our government that our system and, and God, of course, has given us. I'm going to teach you about that on Sunday, but then I'm going to kind of do something else in my private life. I'm going to donate to who I want to donate to, um, and, w- and I owe you no explanation for this. I owe you no explanation for who, who I donate to. That's my private donation, and my motivations are my own. I mean, would, would any of any of us want to be at a church with a pastor like that? Is that biblical? Is that is that what we're called to, to do as Christians? To sort of we, we have some things that are that are you know with moral implication and ethical implication that are just for us and it's nobody's business at all. Like that, there, there's no there's no explanation for this other than Bart sinned. He stepped in it. He screwed up, and now he won't repent which has become a pattern with him. It's become a pattern with him ever since he tried to illogically and ridiculously uh, um, defend the pro-life movement against abortion uh, abolition on the basis of, well, there could be an ectopic pregnancy, and so we don't want to make abortion illegal because then we can't deal, we can't medically handle ectopic pregnancies. And there's life of the mother concerns, and that's the road he went down, as if that isn't .0001% of... Um, of abortion, legal abortion in this country. And by the way, we, we went over this before, but ectopic pregnancy um, and, and uh, having to handle that is not an abortion. It's a birth. And yes, it's, it's a birth so premature that obviously the, the uh, child, the life inside can't survive. But that's making abortion illegal has nothing to do with that. And in the, in the very, very rare case where the life of the mother would actually be in jeopardy by continuing the pregnancy and birth process, no abortion abolitionist is in favor of that. They're not saying um, no matter what happens, you can't, um, you can't deal with those kind of things medically and let the mother die. Nobody's saying that. They're also not saying, for the record, abortion abolition is not saying that if a young woman is forced against her will to abort her child if somebody dragged kicking and screaming um, or she's being human trafficked or something and somebody else forces that abortion we're not suggesting that she's morally liable for that you have to have moral agency in this case Um, but what we are suggesting is that that murder is murder and people that choose to murder should be held uh, equally liable for that. It's called equal protection. It's a very standard, uh, biblically sourced uh, component of American Western jurisprudence. The idea of equal protection under the law means that when somebody violates your rights, they don't have special exceptions based off of who they are. They don't, we don't have one rule for people of this group, that group, this gender, that gender, this age, that age, this, this level of uh, you know, finances. We, we don't have different... The law is the law, and it applies equally to everybody. And 
if we rightly apply that to the issue of abortion, we cannot be morally and ethically consistent with any other position other than those who choose to have abortions are liable for the murder of that child. It's really not that complicated. Where it becomes complicated is when Christians try to strategize their way out of it. And I saw this, um, and apparently I guess he's going to debate it or discuss it or something, but Joel Berry of the Babylon Bee is becoming quite the strident pro-lifer. And by that I mean stridently against abortion abolition, the idea that you would hold um, mothers accountable for choosing to abort their children. And I have not nuanced my way through his argument here um, as far as why he thinks that's appropriate, but the problem we run into, generally speaking, is when we decide that we're going to strategize, right? When we, when, when we, say, when we say something like uh, Tim Keller saying the Bible would, would lead us to try to um, stop abortion or get rid of abortion or minimize abortion, but it doesn't tell us a way to do that. It doesn't tell us, you know, what's the best strategy to do that. And so, you know, we, we if we if we can lower abortion, for instance, by um, dealing with the poverty of young mothers who would choose to abort, well, that's that's a viable strategy as well. Of course, what he's what he's really advocating for here is income redistribution, basically ba- basically paying women off to not murder their children, um, which is not, I mean, that's not right either. It's not right to, in, in order to prevent one's sin, we're going to sin against other people. But this becomes, um, this, is the, this is the position of the pro-life movement. It's Bart Barber's position. It's apparently Joel Berry's position. This, this idea that we're going to go after abortion doctors and medical providers that do these things. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, they're culpable. Don't get me wrong. They're culpable. But, but very specifically, we're going to exclude the women that choose to get abortions from responsibility for what they're doing. Is that biblical? And so, so these guys will throw out every exception under the sun to try to prove why um, murderers should not be held accountable for murder. They'll throw, well, you know, she's 16 and she didn't know any better, um, despite the fact the Bible says that the, the law of God is written on the hearts of men. You know, supposedly she doesn't know any better, and and you know, making it illegal for her to do that with consequences apparently won't get the message across. Or they'll throw out, well, you know, there's human trafficking, and there's you know, girls who are coerced and things like that, and and whatever. Like, uh, uh, let me let me make it make this point very very plain. Eve was coerced into sinning. Eve was deceived. She was tricked. She was lied to. And yet she knew better and she sinned anyway. Does that, is she now not responsible for her sin? Of course she's responsible for her sin. That the, the deception by the serpent does not get her off the hook any more than, well, my, my, my parents told me that it would be okay and that it wasn't really murder this time and, and all that would get a, a young woman off the hook for murdering her child. I mean, and, and I, find, I find the argumentation so ironic because in the same sentence, these same folks that say that women who um, abort their children shouldn't be held accountable for that, you know, because, because apparently they're, they're um, not capable of making their own decisions, um, the same people that will say that will say things, you know, basically, basically say things like, well, you know, um, you know, women are just as capable of, of, of everything as men are. And, and, you know, they're, they're, you know, 
we should listen to them. And they, I mean, they, they push equality of women, except when it comes to accountability. In that case, they treat women like children. And they say, oh, these women can't possibly make... They, they basically ha- apparently have no moral agency of their own. Apparently they're gullible to everything that comes down the pike. And yet, you know, get a patriarch, patriarchal Christian to say that women are the weaker vessel or perhaps there's some dispositional differences in men and women related to um, discernment or, or uh, the ability to uh, fight, fight moral and ethical fights. Say, say something like that and you'll get raked over the coals. You'll get raked over the coals for that. So the, the irony is palpable here that as soon as we, t- we talk about um, judicial accountability for what they do, women all of a sudden are treated by these guys as um, totally incompetent, totally unable to make decisions for themselves, totally unable to be morally responsible for what they do. And, and, and what does this sound like? This is just feminism. This is feminism. This is standpoint theory, standpoint epistemology. This is this this is uh, social justice. It's this is woke ideology, and that's the, that really is what's behind this this unequal application, unequal weights and measures being applied by the people in the pro life movement. That's all, and and they will get back to. You know, and, and of course they'll they'll throw out the "you're unloving" card. I saw Joel Berry doing this earlier, sadly, on Twitter. You know, hey, you know, all of you abortion abolitionists have no grace, and, and you don't care, and this and that. You just want to, you just want to, um, you you just want to convict young women of murder. You don't care about the situation. Da 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 da. da. And of course, our response is first and foremost, we need to stop the murder. First and foremost, we need to consistently apply the law of God. It is not our call to try to strategize and and package the law of God in some sort of way that we feel like would be a better way to do it than God has set out. Again, there's no biblical call for us to say, we're going to just sort of piecemeal in the truth of God's word, you know, because because we think that that will, that will convince people more. Um, that, there's no call at all to do that. You can't. I mean, imagine other parts of God's law, um, especially in terms of uh, what would be in the realm of the civil magistrate bearing the sword. That we would say, oh, it's totally okay. If we, if we would just piecemeal this in. Like, you know, people are stealing. They're 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 stealing cars. Or they're they're robbing people blind, and or they're assaulting them or something like that. And hey, if if you just come out there straight up and say anybody who assaults or steals is equally uh, liable for that as anybody else under the law. Yeah, you're just not going to convince them that stealing is wrong. You, you, you're just not going to, you know, you need to show a little bit more grace and love when you're telling people that stealing and assaulting people is wrong. If we just sort of, if if we just sort of slowly walk that back, hey, you know, maybe instead of maybe instead of going after the people who are assaulting or stealing, um, may, maybe we should go after the guns or the weapons that they use to do to to assault and steal instead. Oh, oh, wait a minute. We're already doing that? No, and it's the same people? It's the, it's the, same, it's the same epistemological framework? <clears throat> the, same, the same general argumentation being used by the pro-life movement is, is also used by the, the gun control movement? What a shock. Is anybody else surprised by that? Obviously, I'm not. Um, this is, but this is, the, this is the position of Bart Barber. Um, there, 
uh, Dusty Devers, uh, after he won the primary and now is the Republican uh, candidate for this office, his his um, general election opponent, his liberal Democrat opponent, is using Bart Barber quotes in their political material, in their mailers. So they're, they're, they're saying, it, it, because Bart Barber got hyperbolic and made a false claim about, about abortion abolitionists trying to criminalize uh, 16-year-olds who get raped or something like this. Like, like Bart, Bart Barber's hyperbolic reactions to Dusty Devers, his hyperbolic interactions, have been used now at, by Dusty's Democrat political opponent in campaign materials. And now, now Bart is clutching his pearls like, I can't believe that I, I didn't approve of that. And I, you know, that, that's inappropriate. Now, wouldn't it like, why do you, do you not, um, do you not stand by what you said? Do you not stand by the hundred dollar contribution that you gave to Dusty Deaver's pro-abortion primary opponent who might, might claim out front that they're pro-life, but then they, they financially support radical pro-abortion Democrats. You don't stand by that, do you? I mean, he can't. And so instead, it's like, well, my my my, my private donations are my private donations. And and you know that that really, I'm not willing to concede that that's any of your business. Like who I donate to politically. Like, yeah, it is our business, dude. It became it became our business when you decided that you were going to um, apparently uh, donate or support candidates who stand um, diametrically opposed to what you supposedly believe. It's called hypocrisy. It's called talking out of both sides of your mouth. Um, and again, who would want to? Who would want a pastor that was willing to do that, and then not repent? I mean, you know, we'd be having a different conversation, I think, if when this was exposed, uh, Bart said, "Yeah, I, I shouldn't have done that. I was, I was upset, or I was angry about the conversation. I still believe what I believe. I still disagree with Dusty about this and that and the other. Um, but that was the wrong way to go about it. I would respect that." I mean, you know, but but I'm not surprised that he's not he's not doing that. He's doubling down. He's saying it's none of your business, everybody. When it very clearly is, <laughs> you know. So yeah, it's it just I mean it shows the just the institutional corruption that is so prevalent in evangelical institutions. It got it got like the pro Christian nationalist people and the anti Christian nationalist people um, all agreeing about how awful. Bart Barber is in this situation. They're all agreeing, and quite frankly, we—you know—if you listen to Protestia, read Pulpit and Pen before that, we warned you about Bart Barber. It is—it is more dangerous, in my opinion, to have somebody who is um, both beholden to the institutionalism of it all, but also kind of a weak person. That's actually more dangerous than someone who is. Um, stronger and just will openly promote stuff you disagree with. I'd much rather deal with somebody in a leadership position who I disagree with them about things, but at least they're open and honest about it versus Bart, who's, you know, uh, an aw shucks, you know, yokely, you know, um, um, just in it for Jesus kind of guy out in the open and then stabs people in the back. That's much more dangerous as far as I'm concerned. The the, the duplicitousness of it is, um, is something that needs to be continually exposed. So uh, the next topic I wanted to talk about, and I have to apologize to uh, uh, patrons here. Um, I haven't seen any sincere questions uh, in the inbox or in the comments on Patreon just yet. 
Um, so if there are any that, that I just didn't notice before I started recording, we'll get to them. Um, hopefully, hopefully the discussion about these, the, the two issues that we're talking about today will spur some, some questions, but, um, but if, if, uh, yeah, if I see more questions across there, I might do a special recording just for you guys. Normally we do that by the way. So for, for those of you freeloaders who are listening to this, um, the free, the free side, we normally do a PTVIP, which is just for patrons where they drive the content of the program with sincere questions that they can ask. And they, we, we promise we will always answer them no matter how, uh, deep or involved or confusing or, you know, surface level. I mean, you ask anything you want, we'll answer it. Um, but this, this one is going out to just everybody the same. So you can thank patron supporters for bringing the whole thing to you. Um, Anyway, next the, the next topic I wanted to talk about. There was some pushback from people that I that I really respect and you know value their work and things on uh, Rosaria Butterfield speaking at the Liberty University convocation. And when when I first saw this, I was like, isn't it a little early for like a graduation? Because convocation is a word that they'll use like you know when you're when uh, um, when they're doing a, a college graduation or something like that. But apparently, that's what just sort of what Liberty calls their chapel. Um, it is like, you know, people gathering, you know, school-wide gathering kind of a thing. They, they, you know, sing worship songs or whatever. And then, and then somebody speaks, but the speaker is not, um, apparently these speakers are sort of all over the board. Like they've had politicians, they've had, you know, I think they've had a few, you know, folks that I would consider false teachers show up and speak. And, and I mean, it's all over the board, all over the map really. But, uh, a few weeks ago they had Rosaria Butterfield, uh, there to, uh, discuss her testimony, her conversion, and um, address you know what she calls the five big lies that sort of underpin gender confusion and side B quote unquote Christianity and things like this that are they're kind of all the rage among um, you know world attentive um, evangelical Christians. But she addressed those five questions and and then called out some people and some institutions for promoting side B um, Christianity, including Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, she just called them out, which I thought was 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 awesome because Crew, I, I, I suspect, has a pretty big presence at Liberty University. So there were like audible groans among the students, but like, no, this needs to be called out. And so, I mean, she, she was starting to sound like some sort of pulpit and pen protestia person there, just calling people out by name, you know. Um, but anyway, there, there was some pushback because you know, some folks that, uh, that I respect were saying, hey, you know, she's exposing scripture here in a mixed audience of believers. And the Bible um, prohibits women from um, teaching or exercising authority over men um, when the church gathers. Um, instead, she's to be quiet. We also see it in 1 Corinthians, um, Paul, Paul talking about as in all the churches of the saints... Uh, women are, are to are to be quiet, right? They're to learn in quietness with full submission. Um, and so, how how does this apply in this situation? Is the Liberty University convocation uh, analogous to a gathering of the saints? Because we we would assume that the students here are Christians, or we you know I guess they, we we can't prove that, of course. But if we assume if we if we assume that we're going to treat the students here as Christians, you have. Uh, young men and women, and probably older men and women, all gathered together, and then and then you have Rosaria Butterfield, um, you know, basically teaching scripture to this group. Now, to to answer this question, we have to get back to 
we always want to do this. We, we want to get back to not only uh, the context of what Paul was saying when in the New Testament, when these prohibitions are made, and it's very clear, it's very clear that within the gathering of the body, uh, the men are supposed to be um, leading. The men are supposed to be in the positions of authority. Um, but, but it behooves us to get to uh, why that's the case. And there are several possibilities off the top of our head. It's, it's possible that it's the case because men are just, they're, they're better teachers. Now, I would argue that's not the case because we see uh, women taught to instruct in many places in Scripture as well. Um, I certainly, you know, for my part, I learn from, uh, from women teaching me things all the time, even as an adult. The, so I, I would argue this is not a... This isn't a lack of ability among women that that brings about this restriction. Um, we have a clue to what to to why this would be a restriction. There's two parts of this. We got to figure out first of all the nature of the restriction, why it's the case, and and then use that information to point to this this Liberty University convocation and say, does this meet the does this meet the criteria? Um, and so we, we start with first discussing, okay, what's the reason What's the reason that this restriction was in place? There's a clue in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul goes in to discuss why women praying with, uh, without their heads covered is a disgrace and why men pray, you know, praying and prophesying with heads uncovered uh, is a disgrace to them. He's, he's basically describing how in the Christian church, despite the fact that there is no Jew nor Greek, no male nor female, no slave nor free. Under we're all one in Christ. Despite that, the 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 um, the fact that that's the case, which is a, is a description about salvation and our access to Jesus, and and our equality as believers before the cross, that doesn't erase the importance of God's creation. So God created the male and female. He created the woman for the man to be his helper. Um, even prior to the fall, created the woman to be um, to be submissive to the to the man. He leads in love. She submits um, out of obedience, you know, to him, which is a primary primarily obedience to God, of course. But he created this 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 male female relationship and designed it a certain way. And Paul's saying that when just be, just because um, Christianity is countercultural in a lot of ways, certainly most specifically when it comes to access to God and how that comes about, that doesn't erase the good um, and designed parts of God's creation when it comes to men and women. So when when men and women worship, when they pray, when they prophesy, when they when they engage in Christian worship, they do so still as men and women, and that's both in behavior. You know, and we see that when it comes to um, women women being um, <clears throat> instructed to uh, learn in silence and submission, to to be uh, you know engage in modesty. Um, you know, men instructed to do, do the things that we're supposed to do, uh, both in terms of what we're doing, but also in terms of how it looks, what we're saying by how we do things. Um, you know, in back in in that earlier culture, uh, covering women covering their head was that sign of um, womanly submission. It was a cultural sign that this is a woman. Her long hair, a sign that this is a woman. Uh, the man not covering his head so as not to signal that he's he's a woman. In other words, there was no gender bending 
in in uh, that would be appropriate in the church. So everything that we do in Christian worship uh, is still everything that we do, every way that we dress, every way that we act um, as men and women is supposed to be telling the truth about God's creation, telling the truth about what he created, telling the truth about the goodness of the way that he created men and women to complement one another. And so when when we look at the, the biblical restrictions on women exercising authority or teaching men in the gathered assembly, it's an expression of this. It's not because women are incapable of understanding or teaching scripture, not at all. Obviously, that's not the case. Instead, it's saying that when you gather as, as a church, you are not permitted to, uh, to reorder what God has already ordered. So that the male-female ordering and, and relationship and the, the, the leading and submissive relationship between men and women that is operable in the home, in creation, in the home, you know, with husbands and wives, is also in operation in the church. We don't, we don't change the rules. We still tell the truth about God's creation when we gather for corporate worship. And because teaching and authority in creation has been, you know, authority has been given to men and teaching with the gathered assembly is an authoritative role. It's a role that basically places you in an authoritative position as you bring the word of God and you exposit it and you explain it. Uh, this is to be done by those placed in leadership positions in creation, which are, which are men. That's, that's what it really is about. And, um, that's, and, and so when, when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over men, this is, yeah, I would argue there are dispositional differences between men and women that, um, that are a reflection of this and, and complement it and work well hand in hand, um, with what men and women are called to do. But it's also the idea that, that, that we are not going to, um, indicate in any way that God's created authority structure is not in place when we gather. So to get back to this convocation at Liberty University, the question, the question becomes, is, is teaching and authority in this context related to one another? I I think it's related, but I think even if you said, even if you separated the two, even if you take, you know, first Timothy two 12 and you say, um, I do not permit, um, women to teach men and you just stop there. And then you say, I do not permit women to have authority over men. And you stop there. Both of those things. Um, the, the question becomes, is the Liberty convocation, a gathering of the church? Paul is giving these instructions for the orderly worship of the church. And if, if we, if we say that, well, women aren't supposed to teach men because they're just not good at teaching men. Well, would that not prohibit every woman from ever teaching scripture, uh, in any context? I mean, even, even when the Bible talks about women teaching other women, older women teaching younger women, if, if there's a restriction here based off of women's lack of ability to teach or, um, you know, not them not being as good at teaching as men are, would that wouldn't we rightly say then um, that instead of older women teaching younger women, we just have the men do it, have the good teachers do it? So this is why I, don't, I think that it's not um, a, a restriction based off of teaching ability. 
Um, but even if we say women are not to teach men, they don't teach men in the gathered assembly because this this reorders this reorders God's created order. It, it really effectively tells a lie about God when God says, and we see this in in First um, Corinthians, uh, what is it, fourteen, I believe, where where it's it's either fourteen or fifteen, where Paul. Um, instructs women who have questions to go home and ask their husbands. He's clearly charging, and God's created order has charged men with that authoritative um, teaching role in their families. And so when we gather as the saints, we don't reorder that. We don't flip that around. This is the big problem with, one of the big problems among many with women pastors is you've effectively reordered her marriage. You've effectively neutered her husband's ability to obey God in his home because it's it's not going to ever be the case where so and so is a she's the pastor at church she's the spiritual authority she's the she's the teacher of scripture in church but then when she goes home she submits to her husband like she's supposed to and he becomes the spiritual head again that that doesn't work you know so so again we're not reordering creation when we gather for worship. We're not um, effectively telling falsehoods about God when we when we gather for worship. That's 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 a big part of this. So if if it's not based off of teaching ability that this restriction exists, it's it's based off of created order and it's based off of authority. Um, elders and and teachers in the church are exercising authority. That's why Paul pairs teaching and exercising authority together in this verse. So the question with Liberty University is: Was Rosaria Butterfield exercising authority in this context was she exercising authority I, I would say it's kind of the opposite of that being that it's a school right I mean I, st- I get calls all the time from Liberty University asking for for money um, it's it is a it is an enterprise conducted to support itself financially not a church it's a school and so, so Liberty University, the teachers at Liberty, the you know whoever's given the convocation, whoever stands up there, um, they're not actually in in any sort of spiritual authority position in a a school where somebody chooses to go pay tuition to to attend classes. And yeah, I mean they agree to a, like a conduct code um, as part of that as part of that uh, being a student contract. But this is not the same. I mean there there would be no call um, for a Christian college to initiate church discipline against somebody. They may have they may have rules about how to con- conduct themselves as a school, but that's not the same thing as church discipline. You know that, and and this is the 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 authority and the teaching and the male headship that is in in place in the church are all connected to one another. And when we're talking about a convocation at a Christian school, the authority piece is not there. Rosario Butterfield was not exercising authority by bringing um, the message that she brought any more than like Marco Rubio was exercising authority when he, when he spoke at the Liberty University convocation, you know, years back. So, so absent, absent that piece we're left with was what she said true. Was it biblical? Was it, was it accurate? Um, and I and I listened to the whole thing. I thought it was. I, I didn't find anything to take issue with biblically speaking. Um, and 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 for me, it did not represent any sort of. And I and, and I think that this is the right way to look at it. It didn't represent any sort of reordering of the male female authority structure, submissive structure that is the foundation 
the the ontological foundation, the created foundation of why um, there are restrictions about men and women in the gathered assembly. So, I mean, for for and I know that that's that may not convince everybody who would say, "Hey, I'd really rather she not." And if it's if it's really that, like, hey, I don't think she's sinned, but maybe it wasn't the right like strategic thing because it creates these questions. That's a, I mean, that's a fair position. I, I disagree with it, but it's not the end of the world. Um, but if it's hey, she sinned by doing this, I I really don't think she did. And again, it's because there was no authoritative there there was no shifting in the authority structure. There was no there was no um, lie told about what God had set up. Because Rosario Butterfield, I mean, if that was the case, I mean, we would have to say that hey, any female college professor shouldn't be teaching men if, if scripture might be part of it. Um, you know, any, any, you know, book written by a female Christian author, um, even intended towards women should not ever be read by men lest he sin by allowing her to teach him something. I mean, you see, you, you, you see when, that when you separate the teaching component from the created authority structure that's part of this, um, you go off the rails fast. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I mean, it becomes sort of almost the comical, the kind of restrictions and, and silliness that has to be thrown out there. Um, so, yeah, to, 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 to sum it up, to wrap it up, I suppose, I don't think Rosaria sinned by doing that. I would have had a, a big, a much bigger problem if she had said something I thought was unbiblical or I disagreed with. I didn't. In fact, I thought it was pretty darn effective. I appreciate her calling out um, Crew and, and, and Preston Sprinkle and, you know, these organizations by name. That, that, takes, that takes a lot of courage. Um, it, is, it's, it is shameful to some degree that... Um, she will say those things when, when other men may not, like, like men may not say those things. Obviously, we try to say those things, and we've been on Cruise Case for a long time with their slip into social justice and their worldliness. Um, but yeah, if, if you, have, you have questions about that or you think I've gotten something wrong here you know, um, concerning the issue, uh, please let me know. Otherwise, have a, um, a good rest of your week and yeah thank you for listening to protesting tonight stay tuned to protest here for all of your latest in christian polemics and discernment news we'll talk to you again next time as always semper reformanda